0: I don't know how many of you are are like me in the sense that you like everything planned out and sort of in order and all that, and I know there's a couple that are, that are like that, but but I, I plan, just so you know, I, I plan sermon series about six to eight months in advance, and so I know at least that far in advance what I'm going to be preaching on on a given Sunday, and so I, that way I can kind of work toward that, and... And it just settles my mind a little bit. And then and then I've seen preachers who have who show up on Sunday morning and they say, you know, the Lord put something on my heart, which basically means I didn't prepare that week. I was just gonna tell you. <laughs> and so say I'm sorry, but that's what it means. And so uh <laughs> And so they, they just say, well, you know, Lord put something in my heart, and then they kind of ramble for 30 minutes, and they close in prayer, and everybody says, what was that? And they go home, and, you know, they shake the preacher, oh boy, that was great, you know, and they don't really mean it, but that's, uh, that's the way we do things. And so, uh, so I had a sermon prepared, uh, for this morning, and, and then all the stuff, uh, of the news happened this week, and I, and I just thought, Maybe it, maybe it needs to be addressed. Um, maybe it's something the Lord would speak to us collectively on. And so I, th- this morning, I, I'm not going to give you my opinions because they don't hold much water. And I honestly don't know what I think to begin with. Um, but I, I hope I hope to be able to present to you some biblical response on the current events that we see, whether it's the shooting of black men whether it's the shooting of police officers, whether it's just general unrest, whether it's worry and fear and all the things that are associated with it, I hope that we can look at Scripture this morning and hear from the Lord and say, what do we do? How do we respond? It didn't happen in our community. Uh, odds are it's not going to happen in our community. We live in a wonderful place, and, and I, I sometimes take it for granted, but I, I went back to Louisville this weekend to visit my family, and I'm reminded of how different Murray, Kentucky is from where I grew up, and and, and so we may or not face it, but, but because the world is so small and has been made smaller through social media and our connectedness and so on, I, I think maybe it's it's appropriate, and so... So this morning I, I woke up and I, I thought, Lord, I, I really do believe that's what I need to do. And so, um, so the sermon that was going to be preached got scratched, and uh, and so there's a different one. So I hope that you'll bear with me. And maybe it's good we don't have the bulletin in the first place because we'd all be looking at the old notes and be confused. And and so, uh, so anyway, I would I would appreciate uh, as we move through this, uh, just as we look at the scripture, uh, your prayers. Uh, this is this makes me uncomfortable. I'll be honest with you. So. Um, I don't like changing things, and certainly on a Sunday morning, I don't like getting up and changing things. So, anyway, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to we're going to look at, at the scripture this morning and, and and see if we can can find some kind of biblical response to what's what's going on. So uh, let's pray, Lord. Thank you uh, for your Holy Spirit guidance. We pray, Lord, that as we look at the scripture this morning, that that we would just for a few moments that we would set aside whatever might be on our minds about. The recent shootings, Lord, however we feel about them, whatever we think about them, Lord, I, I pray this morning that that we would simply be open to to what might you have to say. So, God, as we as we take a look at Scripture, uh, fill us with your truth, uh, give us ears to hear and and minds to understand, and eyes to see what it is that that you're presenting to us this morning. So, Lord, guide us. We pray, uh, help us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help me uh, to to present your word uh, and not my opinion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> there was a guy that I uh, took to school when I was in high school, and, and I, I, I had two buddies that lived fairly close to me, and I was the first one to be able to drive. And so it didn't matter what I was driving. It was just cool that I was driving. And so um, and so I picked them up, and 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 I never really thought much about it. But but the the one one of the guys, his dad was a police officer at U uh, of L. And honestly, until I met and talked with Jeff Gentry, I didn't really know what police officers on campus did. You know, they're, they're not security guards; they are police officers. And so they put their lives on the line just like anyone else. I never really thought about that though when I was driving my buddy to school, and every day he would give his dad a hug, not knowing if he'd see him again and it maybe you know it was in the back of his mind he didn't really talk about it much but but i just never really i never really thought about that and then i had another teammate uh, whose name was chris and chris's dad was a guy named paul who was a police officer in louisville and chris told me the story of his dad having to shoot and kill a guy and he said he never got over it he said it still haunts him the taking of a life, regardless of whether he was justified or not. He had to in that moment. It was just the way that it was going down, and, and that sort of made me think. And, and then I had another teammate whose name was Andre, and Andre was our shortstop, and he was black. And we went to Glasgow, Kentucky, and I don't know anything about Glasgow other than what I experienced, and so if you're from Glasgow or have family there, I don't mean this as a total generalization, but we played we played baseball at Glasgow High School and we had a black shortstop and a black left fielder and they had some fans who showed up not, I'm sure, completely representative of all of them, but who showed up with a pickup truck and a dog and some chains and berated our guys the entire game about what they were going to do to them. And and I still, I, I, I sent a message to Andre this week, and I just said, man, all this stuff makes me think of you and Glasgow High School. And, and so I, it hit home for me. And, and then I, I served, before I came here, I served at a church in Atlanta, north of Atlanta in Woodstock. And we had a black guy on staff. His name's Keith, and Keith is one of the, the, the most wonderful men I've ever met. And I, I remember sitting in one of the, what they call, worship production meetings. Just so you know, our worship production is me and Danny getting together and picking some songs, and then we kind of show up, and Danny will play them, Randy will sing them, and I get up and preach. And that's sort of our production. That's what we talk about, you know. We got any questions, we meet ahead of time, and we talk, Randy said, Hey, we good with everything? Yeah, Danny, we good? All right, we're good. Here we go. But the church I served before I came here was was really produced, if you understand. We had a... A high school auditorium where we met, and and they had you know, the, the lights and the stage lights and so on and so forth, and and they had cameras uh, in in the back that uh, would project you know the image up onto the screens and so on. And so it'd be like in here, if the camera that's in the back were actually projecting my face up there, which would be probably way too close for a lot of you. And so, uh, but that was the way it worked. And so they had they had to really plan out the organization of the service. And it was in a, a very affluent area, and, and and that professionalism was very, very important to them. And so, n- not saying anything about that, but but I remember I, I was invited because it was going to be preaching one Sunday, and I was invited into the production meeting. And they had these little index cards that they would place sort of in order as to what was going to happen, and they had different things written in them. And and I remember they they called them the boxes. They were just it's just a generic term for here's this box and we've got worship box because there's a song that goes there. We've got announcement box because there's announcements that are going to come in the service and I mean stuff that we do. Anyway, I, I remember the diversity box. And and that at that time what that meant was that the diversity box would be triggered essentially and they would put a person of color on the screen. The camera would be cued to the African-American lady who was helping to lead worship. So here comes her image up onto the screen. And so when all this stuff happens this week, I I go back to those different things because I I didn't then, with the different police officers whose sons I played with, with Andre and with the diversity box, I I didn't understand any of those situations. I'm not sure I still do. Because I'm a middle-class white kid whose dad wasn't a cop. Um, I'm not sure I understand all of those things, but all of it is front of mind for me right now, and for us as well. You watch the news unfold. You've got opinions on it. You've posted on Facebook and wherever else about what you think and hope and whatever. And I, I understand all that. But what do we really do? I mean, that—that I, that for me has been the question. What do we do? <laughs> Uh, what do I do as a pastor? I mean, how, you know what? I mean, this didn't happen in Murray, Kentucky. I mean, you know, we, we're not we're not under threat of all those things that we think we just, you know. But, but what do you do? How do we respond? You know, psychologists will tell you that when you're stressed, you have one of three responses: it's fight, it's flight, and then they threw in the third one, which is freeze. <laughs> I'm curious today, uh, just just so we can we can admit, uh, how how many of you, if you're willing, if you're willing to admit, just by the raising your hand, you say, you know what? When I'm stressed, my first response is to fight. Anybody like that? Anybody just coming after people? That's okay to admit that. Yeah. Hey, I'm you know I'm coming. I'm not going. That's just I, when you're in an argument, you're attack mode. You know, somebody threatens you. All right, let's go. You know, how many of you would say my my first response is to run away? My I'm flight. Okay, if you how many of you are that third one? Thank you. They threw in a third one. Freeze cuz I don't know what to do. Anybody like that? You know, it, it, it. When we're stressed and when we experience events like this week, even if they don't affect us personally, like it didn't happen to me or to somebody I know, we have these responses. And and I've seen it this week uh, on social media, fighting between people, you know, the words they type here, you know, they're arguing back and forth or, or flight from the people who they just want everything to settle down. They're just trying to, you know, to let everybody know, Hey, I'm nice, you know, and, and, and I'm kind of running away from the conflict. I'm a nice person, you know, like me, um, and then you got the freeze response from people who, who just admit, I, I don't know what to do. Um, but the one constant in all of that is fear. Because we're all afraid. I mean, if you pay attention, if you are a grown-up, and you understand things about the world, then this probably has made you a little bit nervous. Not, not just based on where you live, but just the world in general. What's going on? And I think the black community is afraid. I think the police community is afraid. I think those connected to either or both of those communities are afraid. We don't know what to do. Our leaders are afraid. All of us are afraid. So we fight, we flight, we freeze, whatever our response is. But what, as Christians, what's the path forward? How, how, how do we offer the world around us something in times like this? That's that's my question. So I, I think I've found some answers. Uh, I want you to turn there with me if you got a Bible handy, turn to Romans chapter twelve. How is it we can have some sort of biblical response to our current events, to things that that people are wanting to know? What do we do now? And you see people responding the wrong way, and you think, okay, how can I how can I respond? And so so here here we go, from Romans chapter twelve. I just want to list for you. And these things will appear on the screen. I know you don't have like a, a note-taking sheet in front of you, but if you want to write some notes in your Bible or, or on an envelope there in front of you, or however, maybe God speaks something to you. You just want to write it down. So, so look at, at verse 1. We're going to get the, the very first thing that we can do as a biblical response. Therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. The first thing... And he says there, by the mercies of God. So the first one that you'll see is gospel focus. How can we respond? Everything, 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 everything as Christians has to come down to a foundation of gospel focus. He says in view of or by the mercies, because of the mercies. Of God, What he's done is he spent the chapters leading up to this, the Apostle Paul writing here, and he's talked about how much we don't deserve God's mercy and yet how much he's given it anyway. Now that's That's essentially what he's talking about. Here's who doesn't deserve God's mercy, and here's who God has poured out mercy upon. The gospel tells us both the bad news and the good news. The bad news is we're all sinners. Every single one of us has sinned. Not only that, but we are all born as sinners, which means it's not only what we've done, but who we are that's the problem. Now, you can go and tell somebody, hey, don't do that anymore. And guess what? They haven't changed. They just changed their behavior. I remember when I was a, when I was a youth minister years ago, we, we wanted to make sure, and Clint does a good job with this, Andrew does a good job with our children, we wanted to make sure we don't focus on behavior change, we focus on heart change. So the gospel tells us our hearts are messed up. We are messed up so that's the bad news, that apart from God doing something on our behalf, we're so messed up, He's going to send us away for all eternity to punish us, not only just for what we've done, but for who we are. But the gospel also tells us, Romans is good about this and other scriptures, of course. Tell us that although we are all sinners in need of God's grace and none of us can live up to God's standard, that Jesus did what we couldn't do, and that is to live perfectly, and then died the death that we deserve. So God took out all of the punishment for our sin on Jesus. And Paul says, by the mercies of God, because of all of that, we've got a way that we're supposed to live. Paul, I'll give you some different references, and you may want to write these down because I won't have time to read them all. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote several letters to a group of Christians in a place called Corinth. They were known as Corinthians. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5... Paul lays out the gospel, and he basically says, if you are in Christ, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you've come to faith in him, if he has saved you, then you are no longer the old broken down sinner stuck in who you are. You've been completely changed. All things, he says, have been made new. And then he says, God, who was reconciling the world to himself, has given us the message of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. So the gospel is all about being reconciled, being made into right relationship with one another. You think maybe we need a little bit in our world today? I'd say so. And so the gospel foundation, the gospel focus puts us in right relationship with God and gives us the the chance, the hope, the desire that we can then send that reconciliation, bring that reconciliation to the people around us. Because the problems of our world can't be solved simply through discussion. And we can get all the people to disagree. put them together in a room and say, all right, y'all are not coming out. We ain't even feeding you. You're not coming out until you solve the problems. And they're all going to die of starvation, aren't they? (laughs) That's what's going to happen. Because they're not going to agree on everything. That's just the way it's going to go. The the problems are not all going to be solved through discussion. No discussion is helpful. The the problems are not going to be solved just through new laws or old laws or through anything else that's been invented by humans. The the, the problems of our world, as cliche as as it seems to say it, the problems of our world can only be solved through the reconciling power of Jesus Christ. That's it. It is only through his power that someone's heart can be changed and another's heart can be changed and those who were once enemies can now be on the same team. That's the only chance that we have. To be brought into right relationship with Him, and which then can lead us to right relationship with others. So without a gospel focus, without the power of the gospel at work in us, we're just going to make things worse. That's all we're going to do. Second thing. Second thing we have to offer the world is a difference. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. He says, don't be conformed to what the world is doing, but be transformed. Now what the world does at times like this is immediately take sides, immediately just rant and rant and rant. We don't listen. We just shout louder so we can be heard. Then we take revenge and we make threats or we make threats and then take revenge. Some, some combination of those things. That's what people do. That's what our world does. And we see how that escalates things. We see how that doesn't make anything any better. And we are there to offer some difference, to not be conformed to that sort of pattern where all we do is take sides and rant and shout and not listen and threaten and try to take revenge. Now, I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't have strong opinions on things. That's all I'm saying. We should have strong opinions on things so long it is biblically based. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take any action when it's needed, but the point is that the pattern of this world is something that we, according to what Paul has said here, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, that we should not be squeezed into. That's not how we respond. That's not what we do. We are there to offer a difference, and certainly the world needs something different than its own pattern right now. So we have a gospel focus. We offer a difference, and then you look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. The third thing is humility. Paul says, I I tell you, everyone among you must not think of himself more highly than he should. I I hope maybe we can come back to the proper view of ourselves, that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And it is God's amazing grace that has done all that in me, not anything that I have done. Humility puts us willing to admit what we don't know. And in this particular situation of all the events this week, I'll just admit, I don't know all the facts. I don't know all that happened. I wasn't there. We haven't heard all the reports that will come out. We don't know every single thing. I'll also admit to you, I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to be a police officer. I I, I don't know what to do next, quite honestly. And I would hope that we would be willing to say humbly, look, I I, I, I don't know. That doesn't mean that I won't know and it doesn't mean that I can't do anything but I just admit to you I don't know. Philippians 2, James 1 talk about these things about an attitude of humility. James 1 says be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 puts it this way, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't have to have all the answers. I I wish I I wish you know, that's probably why I don't want to preach this sermon, because I don't have all the answers and I can't tell you every single thing to go and do. And if you'll just do this, it's going to make everything better. Um, I I don't know all that, that we're supposed to do. But I look at the scripture and I just say, you know what, in humility, let's admit we don't know all the answers, we don't know all the facts, we don't know everything to do, I don't know what it's like to be a black person, I don't know what it's like to be a police officer. Some people know what it's like to do that, so I'm gonna to talk to them, I'm gonna ask them, I'm gonna to listen to them, I'm gonna see what how is it that you're feeling what is going on on either side of those things, and then and then from there I'll try to formulate some opinions based upon the scripture, and ultimately, Lord, I'm just gonna say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And so, Lord, you lead me. God, you help me, and Lord, in humility that's what I want to know. So that's the third one. And the fourth one is unity. Look at verse four. Now we now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. And then look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Now, Paul is writing here to Christians. And he's telling them, look, here's who you are. You are together. You are one in Christ. Now, I'll say this we are not one as Christians with anyone else but Christians. That's who we are one with. So, I understand the context. But what we are to show the world, what we can show the world, is the unity that is possible in Christ Jesus. One body, he says, what would normally be impossible in the world is possible in the church because of Jesus Christ. I know some of you, okay, hang with me for a second. Some of you outside of church probably don't get along real well. Mm, I've heard some stories. It's my job to be kind of like Santa Claus, you know, I know a little bit of everything about everybody, but then I don't say anything, you know. But listen, some of us outside the church, we don't get along much, but there's something that even if we're faking it, that's something when we come together on the grounds of Jesus Christ, we pretend at least like we get along, don't we? Isn't it interesting how those folks who maybe would not get along outside the church can find some common ground that they'd find nowhere else as they come together because we are members of one body. And Paul says, not only that, we're members of each other. You're part of me. I'm part of you. Hopefully we got the good parts of each other, you know. But that's what we are. In Christ Jesus, he has knit us together, woven us together. And so then he goes on to say, rejoice with those who rejoice. And then he says, weep with those who weep. And it's certainly a time for that. Because when you don't know what to do, sometimes all you can do is weep with those who are weeping. All you can do is feel with those who are feeling. Hug those who need to be hugged. And maybe sit down with those who have just collapsed and they don't know what to do. Associate, he says, with those that you would not normally associate with. Overlook no one. And he goes on in Galatians, and I'm going I'm to take the time to, to look this one up. In Galatians chapter 3, I'll read this to you. This is what's so great about the church. For those who are cynical about the church of Jesus Christ, I... You're missing it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, "...for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." The church is and can and must be the one place that it doesn't matter who you are, what color your skin is, where you're from, how much money you have or don't have, what you've done or haven't done, that this is the place where we come together and we are all one. All one. Those racial barriers, those socioeconomic barriers, they go away, they dissolve when the church is living for Jesus Christ. Society cannot find unity, but we've got something that we can show them, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of history. We can show them that those who are in Christ are one in Him, and we have such a great opportunity. Now, I will say this just just uh, because I think it's necessary. And so if you, if you think I'm giving an opinion, then I, I will I will allow you to be mad, and that's fine. I find myself, I just admit this to you, as a middle class white kid, I, I find although I grew up around folks that were not of my same socioeconomic level, although I grew up around folks who were not the same color as me or from the same place as me, I still find some subtle racism in myself. I still find that I assume things about folks who are not white. I still find that I ignore sometimes folks that are not white. I still find it easy to not call out the jokes about folks that are not white. And I still find it easy to avoid people who are not white. And I will not project any of that onto you. I just want you to know if those are things you struggle with, you're not alone. I don't like it in myself. I need to repent of those things. I need to ask the Lord to change my heart of those things. But that's where I'm at. And so when I read that there's no Greek or Jew, that's for me. Those are things I need to come to grips with. Those are things that I need God to change my heart on because subtle racism creeps in. And even though we can say, well, I'm not a racist, We need to be real careful that we're repenting of any of those things. Should we see color? Maybe so. Because then we can be intentional about what it is that God needs to break down in our hearts so that we can reflect the unity that is found that is ours in Jesus Christ. So there's unity, and then Paul goes on. In verse 9, he talks about love. He says in verse 9, Love must be without hypocrisy detest evil, cling to what is good, show family affection to one another with brotherly love, outdo one another in showing honor. And then look at verse 13. Share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. He just talks about love. Jesus had a lot to say about this. If you turn back real quick, you want to you want to make a note or something, Matthew chapter 5, he speaks on this pretty clearly. Matthew 5, verse 21, You have heard it said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, You're a fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, You're a moron, will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And I assure you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. Jesus talks about that murder is isn't just something we do with our hands or with a weapon. It's what we do with our hearts and with our words. And then he talks more about it in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And then, verse 43, you have heard it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? don't even the gentiles do the same be perfect or complete therefore as your heavenly father is perfect the message of love is countercultural and counterintuitive it goes against everything that we think our natural response is well yeah hey if, get, if they get along with me I'll get along with them you know who that's dependent on them you know who Jesus puts it on us do you know who God didn't wait for to love him us you know what the Scripture says? We love because what He first loved us. If God had waited for us to love Him before loving us, we'd still be unloved and bound for hell for all eternity. God took the initiative. Paul talks about it also in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he talks about how do you overcome division? It's through love. That, by the way, is not about marriage, although we hear it all the time, and maybe it's appropriate. We hear it all the time at weddings. It's about how do you overcome divisions? You love. Love is patient and kind. And he says that I can speak in the tongues of men and angels. I can speak with such eloquence. But what? If I don't have love, then I'm a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. I'm an annoying noise, he says. I can speak. I can try to solve all the problems of the world. But if I don't love people, I'm just making noise. In verse 13 here in Romans 12, He just says, share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Sometimes the way we can love folks is just being hospitable and kind. And he goes on, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. And then he says, be persistent in prayer. And that's the next thing we have to offer the world is prayer. Now, sometimes this is a crutch, so we really don't have to do anything. Hey, thoughts and prayers. Be praying for you. You ever done that? Sunday school, church. I mean, you really don't have any intention of doing that. And then, of course, you see them the next time you're like, oh, man, I had not been praying for that person. Uh, so let me say a quick prayer for him, so I can walk him." and say, hey, I've been praying for you. And, uh, and how would you just did? And so sometimes it's a crutch, isn't it? But he says be persistent in prayer. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're in a spiritual battle. And so he says in there we're to pray against those evil forces. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 that instead of being anxious and nervous and scared to death all the time, what does he say? Instead, pray. Our prayers can be honest. Just like those of the psalmists. Go back and read the psalms sometimes. They got mad at God. They were confused by what God was doing. They didn't get it. And guess what? Their prayers didn't with, you know, God, I'm so grateful that you've given me all the answers, and Lord, and, what, and they Just sometimes they just end it. They just stop talking. Your prayers can be honest. Maybe you're angry at what's going on. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you've got things on your end, and you don't know what to do about them. Pray. It's time to pray and to be persistent in prayer. And then verse 14 talks about grace. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Show grace to those who in no way deserve it, is what he's saying. There's a great story, and you don't have to, to turn there because we're running out of time. But if you want to write down the reference and go back, and you want an example of grace and mercy and kindness that was very intentional. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 9. King David is taken over, and he's taken over for, for the king that tried to, to kill him, whose name was Saul. And, and in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David asked the question he says is there anyone remaining from Saul's family now if you stop there and didn't know the rest of the story if you knew anything about ancient kingdoms you might say is there anyone remaining from this old king's family who I can go ahead and get rid of so that they don't become a threat to me david says though is there anyone from Saul's family I can show kindness to because of jonathan now jonathan was one of Saul's sons who had befriended david and so he's going to do something based upon this relationship that he had for the family of the king that hated him. He's going to be very intentional in grace. You ought to read the rest of the story and see what happens because there's a crippled member of Saul's family who eventually winds up with a place at the king's table who could have been a threat to David, who could have been dismissed by David, and he, through grace, just says, I'm going to be intentional. How can you be intentional during times like this to love on people that simply need to be loved on, whether they're in the black community, in the police community, or just friends of yours as you talk. I, maybe you, you could call them, send them a text, send them a message somehow. Maybe there's help they need. Maybe, maybe it's hitting delete on that, on that one statement. Maybe it's to listen. How is it that we can show love and grace toward those who right now are most scared on all sides of this issue? And then finally, Paul gets down to verse 17, and we we see his idea of civility. He says, do not repay evil for evil. Do not repay anyone, he says, evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his, that's God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But, Paul says in verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink for in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Verse 21 sums it up. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Leave room, Paul says, for God's vengeance. You know why? Because God knows everything. Those who seem to escape justice in this world will answer to the Lord. And he says, don't let yourselves be conquered by evil. That's the pattern of this world. But but conquer evil with good. That's the evidence of a transformed life and a renewed mind. I, I want to close with some words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. And then we'll stand and we'll sing a closing song. And I hope in the meantime that maybe God has spoken something to you that you can take away and you can say, all right, Lord, that was for me this morning. And God, I needed to hear that. And Lord, you've spoken to me, and, and God, I, I want to be part of the solution here. I want to be someone who offers this biblical response. And and here's just something to remember from Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. If there's something specific on your heart and you just like to talk with somebody... I'll be available down here as we sing, and certainly I'm happy to stick around after the service and talk a little bit, pray with you, listen, whatever it is. Maybe you're angry, maybe you're scared, you're upset, and you don't know exactly who to talk to. I, I, like I said, I'll be available. If I can help you, I'm happy to do it. But as the old song says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. It says, above Him there's no other. Jesus is the way. And so I hope that that if you want to talk to me, fine, but I hope this morning you'll pour your heart out to the Lord. And say, God, I'm even angry that he's talking about this this morning. And God, I don't know what to say or what to respond, but Lord, help me. And I hope that as a church that we can stand in unity together, supporting one another, loving one another, and show the world what it is that God has done in and through us by the power of Jesus Christ. Maybe for the first time this morning, it's that power of Jesus Christ that you'd receive in your life for the forgiveness of sin, for the changing of your heart. And you just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I believe in You. I give my life to You. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be here again, as I said earlier. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, may we receive it today in humility. Lord, may we not leave here to be passive, but to be active in the things that You have made us... To be active in, and unity and love and grace and prayer and a gospel focus and civility, all the things that we talked about. Lord, make us active participants in your work and your kingdom in this world. May we truly be salt and light that this world so desperately needs. Lord, may it start with us at Elm Grove. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel truth that we don't have to be lost and broken down, but you made us new. We praise You this morning, Lord Jesus, for Your life, Your death, and Your resurrection. And we're counting on that. That is our hope. Lord, we thank You again for the chance to be here. I pray for the folks this week. Lord, help us to know what to do. Guide us. Lead us. Give us Your Holy Spirit inspiration and Your wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we close?